This is a jingle. This is our jingle. <laughs> Welcome to the Culture Edit, content for work and more. It's a weekly roundup where we talk about the latest news in people strategy, company, and pop culture. All right, so I'm Nikki Strickland, co-founder of Niche Culture, and I'm here with my other co-founder, Chad Strickland, and co-pilot, husband, best friend, all the names. Co-pilot. Yeah, co-pilot. Yeah, I prefer co-pilot. Okay. So this is really exciting because this is our first official Culture Edit podcast, and we've been talking about doing this for a long time, um, but the, the real linchpin in us actually starting to record was the fact that I've, I've just been going around telling everyone that we're doing this so that way <laughs> we we have to you did you just told someone an hour ago someone that opens our our newsletter every week which he uh mentioned to us and so then you just threw on well, well we'll have a podcast where you listen to as well. well our new neighbor yeah uh i mean my philosophy on if you want to get something done is you just have to start telling people that you're going to do it and, and maybe it's just because i have I'm just a prideful person. I'm not sure. But if I have a goal, I just, I literally start telling everyone that I'm going to achieve that goal so that I feel this peer pressure of achieving the goal. That's a great, uh, great method of getting it done. I'm sure Michael Tavani from Switch Yards will get a real big kick out of the fact that you just told him that. And then we came in here and recorded it. Yeah. Let's mm -hmm. talk about Switch Yards. Um, so we rewind backstory when we started this agency in 2016 switchyards downtown club there was this cool new co-working space really before co-working i would say was insanely insanely popular i mean we work was taking off um but this was a new smaller co-working space that was really revolved more around creating a community for people uh, that wanted to come together and do something meaningful. And so Michael Tavani, co-founder of Scout Mob, which if you were around in really the early 2010s, it was really popular. I mean, I got all kinds of deals on Scout Mob, especially when I moved to Atlanta. And so he created this really cool place where we went in, we had an office. We went from both working in really traditional offices and having all these people to talk to, to all of a sudden finding ourselves without a community of people to work with. And Switch Arts was the perfect place to really start our quote unquote founder career. Met an amazing people that we're still friends with today. Full circle uh, in 2023, so six years later, Switch Arts, is this their fifth location? I think it's their ninth. Ninth location? That's insane. Great job, Switch Arts. Uh, they are going in in the office across from us. And in, so. In Studioplex. Yeah, in Studioplex. So their new location is across the hall from us, which is so amazing and really excited to be able to pop over there and say hi from time to time. But that was a really cool thing that happened this week. Yeah, so for all of the clients out there listening, uh, next time you're here, you'll definitely have to check it out. Yeah, it's a very cool space. Yeah. Great coffee, too. So big news for us this week. Huge news. Exciting news. Is what? Telly Awards. We won two Telly Awards. We did. And for those that don't know or that aren't in this industry, the 
Telly Awards are a really prestigious kind of recognition for excellence in video and television across all platforms. So basically what they say is if it's on a screen, uh, it's how you recognize creators that are putting great content out there. Uh, and we submitted our video that we produced and directed uh, along with Lion Star Films uh, for Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. It was their vision mission video. Uh, and it won two tele awards. One was for best employee communication and the other was for best direction. So big deal for our client, big deal for us. Uh, it's just another, I think, confirmation for us that we can do a lot of different things really, really well. See, I was really exciting that we won this, uh, but even more exciting is that I grew up watching multiple movies by Jennifer Garner and she is actually one of the judges. So she in turn has watched a movie that we've created. It's true. Again, it's crazy. full circle. The full circle of life is happening over here. Full circle. Uh, you know, why did we win? Uh, you're probably asking. I think the, the approach that we took for this video is unique for a employee communication or internal communication type video because it's completely unscripted and unrehearsed. Uh, no AI was involved in generating this content. It's literally us thinking about the story uh, and how we could capture the voice of the employee by just talking to them uh, and asking the right questions. And so there was a lot of reluctance, I think, from, from children's and really from any client, especially when you're dealing with the C-suite, of not being scripted, of not knowing exactly what you're going to ask, uh, but hats off to them to to be willing to do that, and the result was uh, pretty fantastic. We really push our clients to be unscripted, and it is a documentary style. It's an interview style. We're interviewing them, and they know where the interview is essentially going, but they're not going to have a teleprompter. We might have the teleprompter ready in the background. Fake teleprompter. As a, <laughs> as a comfort uh, but we're, we're going to make sure that it's really unscripted. And I think that's why we won. I definitely think that's why, because it, it definitely stands out when you look at the competitors, uh, that this is real. And, that, and that's also why people internally watch the video. Most people would start watching the first 30 seconds and then stop. Uh, and this one's about five minutes long, so it's not short. But so much feedback internally about how much they love the video and what it impact you've run into people in the middle of nowhere that work for children's and mention this video. Yeah, that's actually a crazy story. So quick sidebar, I guess last weekend we went up to the mountains, we took our bikes, we were going to do gravel riding, which is a whole genre of bike riding that most people don't know about, but it's really fun. And so at one point towards the end of the ride, about eight miles from the car, my cable breaks, I can't ride any further. And I am sitting at this country store, which we love. Best BLTs in America, in my opinion. Cooper Creek Country Store. But I'm ba sitting bacon, there. Bacon, lettuce, tomato. Do people not know it's a bacon, lettuce, tomato? BLT? I don't know. I, I don't know. If Maybe. you don't know what a BLT is, I, I, don't, Let's I, don't, toast I don't know it. if we can be friends. <laughs> Let's toast it. Anyways, I'm sitting outside of this country store. A storm is rolling in, and a gentleman sits down with his kid. Uh, and the kid starts talking to me about you know, my bike clothes and shoes and all the things that kids ask about. 
I get talking to the dad and he tells me he is a pediatric, uh, paramedic, life flight, all these things. And I just mentioned, oh, well, you know, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta is one of our clients. They're amazing. Have you ever worked for them? There's not many pediatric systems in Georgia, especially one as large as Children's. So I figured he probably had. And he does. He works for Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. And the first thing he said to me was, I really feel like things are changing. There's a lot more transparency. They've been putting out all these amazing videos, referring to the video we're talking about. And he did mention this one thing uh, that the CEO had done. She has recorded a candid video called What's on Your Mind, where employees send in questions and she answers the questions candidly. And that's something that we had been really pushing for going into this year was leaning on that transparency that we were promising to employees. So to be in Blairsville, Georgia, so far away from home, and hear a person say that that has impacted him and that these videos around their values, their mission, their purpose have been so great and refreshing, it, it almost brought, brought a tear to my eye. I mean, I've, I've felt, I mean, my cable was broken. I was covered in dirt and a, the torrential storm was about to roll in and I, I felt a little tear coming on. I had tears in my eyes at that time. While you were riding back to the car in the storm. Yeah. Different types of tears. Yeah, completely different. A lot of dirt in my eyes. But it was great to hear. It was really great to hear. When your work touches people, unknown, unbeknownst to yourself, it's pretty cool. Well, it's always surreal. Yeah. It's surreal to meet random people that your work has impacted their life. Yeah, I mean, every time I walk down the belt. So we walk down the belt line to and from work to our home every single day. And every time I see a Children's Healthcare of Atlanta t-shirt, well, first I feel like I want to just go hug the person, which then I realize would probably be inappropriate. And then I just want to wave, which would be even more awkward. Uh, but it, it brings me such a sense of pride and joy, even though I don't work there. It's just working with our clients that have such a great purpose. I don't know. I feel a kinship with, with people that work there. Yeah. I mean, it's why we do it. So the DNI. Yeah, so the hot topic this week, uh, I mean, really the past few weeks, but we had an interesting meeting this week with a client around D, DEI, DNI efforts, they call it DNI. And it was an interesting conversation because they're a global organization, really, really great organization, great leadership. And they were trying, we were all trying to figure out how do we define diversity in a global organization? Because the way Americans define diversity is very different in the way that someone in Brazil or someone in China or someone in India or someone in Switzerland defines diversity. Yeah. Most Americans just look at diversity through the American lens. And so when we're presented with a challenge for a global organization to say, how do we talk about our DNI initiatives and our programs? globally, it kind of throws everything on its head, right? Well, it's, it's this whole thing. And I think we tend to do this a lot in America. What we think must be the only way, the right way, the all knowing way. And even when it comes to something like diversity and inclusion, it's kind of ironic that we are almost not inclusive of other people's experiences when they don't live in America. It's really hard for 
certain cultures in different countries to, to fully understand our definition of diversity and inclusion in America, but we think they should just know. It's a, that's a big assumption. And so my point is, I think it's great that global companies, this global company, is taking a step back and saying, are we just looking at this through the lens of our headquarters that's based in Atlanta, Georgia? Or are we looking at this through a lens in which we can have a positive impact and a, and a productive conversation with all cultures around the globe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you know, what we were tasked with is really thinking about a campaign that defines what diversity means for this organization. Is it diversity of cultures? Is it diversity of backgrounds? Is it diversity of education, experiences? So we're going to work on that. And I think what was really interesting is the executive that we're meeting with and talking to about this, like how do we communicate around our DNI commitment globally wasn't an American. And so she's got a completely different perspective than we do. And she comes from a, a country that doesn't have really a diverse, in terms of racial makeup, a diverse background. So it's us thinking about how do we develop a campaign that articulates this idea of defining diversity for an extremely unique global organization? Another thing that I thought was really interesting that I hadn't thought about before is when we were talking about South America and specifically Brazil and how diversity looks there, we also don't think about how governments well, we think about how our government affects the way people define diversity in America, but we're not thinking governments abroad are also defining it in their own way, which could be completely different or just bits and pieces could be completely different than the American definition. And so in Brazil, there's a lot of efforts around inclusiveness um, for disability. And there's a lot of laws that they have in place in hiring practices uh, and companies having to meet certain quotas around disability, but not necessarily other things, other protected categories that we would consider making rules around in America. And that was just an interesting example. Yeah, I mean, uh, disability is it's a protected class in the U.S. and has been for a long time, but it's it really doesn't enter into the conversation right now around thinking about what your workforce and how your workforce is made up. Also this week, uh, continue to have a lot of discussions about return to work. Uh, we had a chief human resource officer in our office this morning where that's really all she wanted to talk about. She'd just gotten back from a meeting in Chicago with HR Policy Association where she said the entire meeting was about that. Uh, and I told her, you know, what we've been telling all of our clients is that we're at a point where every organization needs to plant a flag and really take a stand for what they believe in. If they believe that the best way for us to be collaborative and the best way for us to be productive is in the office, then that's what they need to do. And if they think they can work remotely and still be productive, then they need to plant that flag as well. But it's The problem I think a lot of organizations are falling into is that they're afraid to plant that flag. Uh, So they're still kind of in the, in the middle, they're going back and forth. They're not committing or they will commit and then they'll uncommit. Uh, And it's causing a lot of turmoil internally. And 
the idea around this, this planting the flag for what you stand for comes from the fact that we know there's employees out there that will align with what you believe in. Uh, and the quicker you can find those people, the better. Uh, and it's, there's going to be a painful period where if you believe we need to be in the office 100% of the time to be collaborative and productive, uh, you're going to lose people. You're 100% going to lose people. You're going to lose people that matter but you're then going to be able to find the people that also want to be in the office 100% of the time. Everyone's kind of calling everyone's bluff right now or waiting for people to call their bluff. And it's interesting because I think there's a lot of employees who are playing this card of if I have to come back to the to work, I quit. And I I think to your point there will be some that quit that find go out and find other jobs, but majority of employees are bluffing, in my opinion. I really, I think they are. I don't, I don't know. I think there's, there's so many open jobs right now. There's almost twice as many open jobs as there are people looking for jobs. I think it's really easy for people to find new jobs. Um, so I don't know. There's certainly some people that are bluffing, but I, I mean, there's a lot of people quitting. I think though, there's, there, there's a lot of people who like certainty. And to just quit your job is so, there's so much uncertainty. Even going to a new job, you don't know what it's going to be like. Yeah, but they're quiet quitting. They're not doing work until they find the new job. Yeah. But to my point, I I think that's fine. Uh, I think you need to find the people that align with what you and your leadership team believe is going to be the best strategy for your success and get there as soon as possible. Yeah, because you're impacting people's lives by not just making a decision. People are moving. People are deciding to have another kid. People are deciding to buy the second house or the first house or whatever it may be. They're making decisions based off of company policies, which is a little scary. And so if you're wavering on your company policy, then I think you have to anticipate that employees will also waver in their loyalty to the company. Yeah, Farmers Insurance has been the news in the last two weeks for doing that. They said they're going to be 100% remote. New CEO came in, said, no, we're going to be 100% in the office. A lot of people had moved and done lifestyle changes that really provided where they could not be in the office anymore. Uh, and so they had a pretty big revolt. And I don't know if you saw in the news, but now he's going back and said, no, we'll, we'll be hybrid. You know, and that that brings me to something we were talking about earlier. If as a leadership team, you are making people come back to the office, essentially out of control, you just don't trust people to work from home, then I think you have to look inward and say, why, why are we doing this? Because that doesn't seem like a great reason to make people come back to the office. Now, if you as a leadership team are saying, we're seeing productivity drop off a cliff, and we know that our teams are more productive if they're in the office together collaborating and having that in-person touch, that's a totally different story. And I think that's a very valid reason. Okay. So uh, let's talk about what's in the culture edit. I think the first thing that stood out to me was the first article in the culture edit about the paradox of likability at work. And so we... For women. Yeah, I mean, I think this topic has been obviously talked about a lot, but they kind of put it in a different way. That's interesting around likability. But it's 
essentially men can be not likable and be successful in an organization, but women are expected to be likable in order to be successful. And so if as a woman, you're not likable, you're less successful and so on. The, the, one, the one response I have to that almost immediately is that I haven't worked with a lot of men that are not likable that are successful. I have. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I guess it depends on. We've had people in our office where they were extremely unlikable, and we didn't understand how they were successful. That's true. There are some, some baffling outliers, though. It, there is. There's been people that we've both worked for in the past that were not likable that we have said, how, how does this happen? Yeah. So I don't know. I challenge you on that one. Well, I mean, I think it happens, but I think for the most part on the men's side, but I think it's about how you define likability. And I think that's because a guy can be likable, but also be stern when he needs to, or gruff when he needs to, where I think that's the the thing that we're talking about here is that women don't feel like they can do that because they have to be likable all the time. Well, and I think from a female perspective, we talk about this constantly, not in this exact direct context, but you've even said that we have certain calls where with, with women specifically, so it's not just men, where if it's just me and a woman on the call, she acts totally different than if you're on the call. Definitely. And when it comes to conversations around tough subjects, let's say it's contracts or I don't know, just something around how a relationship is going, we tend to say, oh, Chad, why don't you do that? Because you can have a stern conversation without someone getting offended. 100%. But if I have a stern conversation, people get offended. Now, maybe it's the way I'm delivering it. But also, I do think that I, that, I mean, I experience that a lot of if I were to say, I'm not okay with this contract. It takes on a whole different meaning than if you say, I'm not okay with this contract in the exact same way. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think from my experience, I've never had someone not like me because I would push back on a contract or terms or something like that. Whereas I think we know and we felt it where if that were you in that seat pushing back, they're not going to like you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. They just kind of write me off as, oh, she's, or she's, she's not easy to work with. I think that's the number one thing. People, people always say, oh, she's not easy to work with if you're a female and you push back. Yep. What, what is the likability paradox? What does that mean? If women and men do the exact same thing and say the exact same thing, that's maybe not agreeable or likable, they get two different complete reactions. Do they touch on your favorite topic about how women treat each other in the workplace? Yeah, well, yeah. In the in the study that they're talking about, they found that men and women equally respond the same way in this likability paradox. So it doesn't matter. It's not just men. So if a woman is in a room with another woman and she says something that's perceived as not likable, the female has almost the exact same response as a man in that situation. But, you know, on the other side of things... When I was reading this, you know, at the end, they're like, we've got to stand up. And if you, you know, hear something going on or see something going on like this, you need to stand up against it. 
Um, which I think there's certain circumstances where, yes, you can definitely say, hey, I, I don't feel like you're, maybe you perceived what I was saying as aggressive, but that's not the way I meant it. But I also think there's a little bit of, you can't control what people think of you at the end of the day. So constantly setting yourself up for, I'm going to walk in this conference room with this idea that people are not going to like me if I say something. I think you're just setting your, you're, you're kind of psyching yourself out and setting yourself up for failure when you're not going to be able to control that either way. But isn't that what everyone's trying to do? They're trying to control what people think of them? Yeah, but that, but it's pointless. So it just goes to what we always talk about is if you just be real. Yeah, if you be real, but also I think if you're coming at this from just a female perspective of what you can do to overcome this, where I feel like I've overcome this, because I've definitely experienced both. I've experienced men and women not taking me serious for various reasons or not liking me for various reasons. Um, and the way that I've overcome it is I get really, really, really good at a certain skill so that people need me to be the expert in the room. And then no matter what you say, if you have a really strong opinion about someone, something, but you're the expert on that thing, you're a lot more likable because people are relying on you as that expert. So you can be more opinionated, you can be more aggressive, you can be more stern in your conviction. Also, I think, and tell me about this from, a, from your perspective, I feel like being an athlete, when men and women find out that I'm a competitive athlete, they tend to take me, I don't want to say take me more serious, but it's like there's this, I'm now part of the hunter and gatherer club. <laughs> especially for men, you know, like all of a sudden when they're like, wait, you're a competitive athlete. Okay. You're essentially in the boys club now. And I feel like I can talk more on like quote unquote guy, or I can be more straightforward or I can make jokes without having that likability paradox against me. For, for men, for sure. Uh, I've seen it backfire. I think sometimes with women, but on the men's side until the, the men realize that you're a better athlete than them then the insecurity can kick in, but... Um, I don't know. There's a lot yeah. of men who are who think it's really cool. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of guys who we've talked to, and they ride bikes, and they're like, oh, yeah, like, you're really strong. I respect that. You can suffer. I respect that. Yeah. And so, you know, takeaways, get really good at a skill so that you're not... Because I think if you go into a conference room and you just start spewing opinions, and you're not the expert at anything that you're talking about... Whether you're a guy or a girl, that's that's just annoying. You're not likable no matter what. So be an expert. Get a, Hone your skills. Make yourself indispensable. And then also get out and be active. Compete at something. So the rest of the culture, I'll just kind of touch on these real quick, and then we can come back to any of the ones that you want to. Um, there's a lot of articles now that we're kind of three years into what was a really big DE&I push by major organizations as a result of the summer of 2020. Uh, and these, uh, the research and the articles are really touching on the fact that it's a mixed bag in terms of results from these DNI efforts that have been made, um, which is something that we hear every day. And that's why we're being asked to, to come in and talk about how we communicate around DNI. Um, Another article around Americans not taking all their PTO, which isn't a surprise to anyone. Um, I do think there's a, a flip side to that in that 
with so many organizations moving to remote or hybrid work that PTO is not being tracked. And that's the one thing when I looked at that research that they're not accounting for that. Um, I think there's just a lot of organizations that have given up on tracking. I, I had a conversation with a head of HR last week around this very topic and the fact that they haven't, they've just gotten to a point where they're so lackadaisical with their remote working situation that they're not tracking PTO. And so no one knows whether or not someone actually has time to, to take off. Um, where you can find the best area of the country for remote working. Uh, so this research was about uh, really evaluating uh, different areas of the country where employers are more open to remote work. Bad news is South and uh, Middle America comes in last. Uh, best place to do remote work, I think, is no surprise in the Northeast and the West Coast. Uh, is that because of easier transportation? Uh, they didn't talk about that. I, I think it's about social norms and per- perceptions. Um, but I think you're, that's a good point. I think I think it's the type of work. I, I think it's also just social norms. I think it's just what people expect. I think yeah. People in the South expect you to be in the office. Um, quick update on one of your favorite subjects, uh, UPS. Uh, as we know, we have a pending strike vote. Uh, that I think actually is the deadline is today, the 16th of June. If you're not following this, uh, the Teamsters Union, uh, largest union in the U.S. uh, in terms of um, activity and membership with UPS uh, has, for the last two weeks, been holding a strike vote to see if their members want to go on strike. Uh, and UBS, UPS has been negotiating through this. Uh, one of the big negotiation wins for the Teamsters is that they are going to, UPS is going to equip all new trucks with air conditioning, uh, which I guess I didn't even think about. But yeah, you think about UPS truck, they're just driving around with the doors open pretty hot. Apparently, there's been some serious issues with some of the drivers. I'm sure. And, and, Heat areas. Imagine it. Uh, imagine driving around in Miami. Yeah. In the Miami heat. Yeah. And you're you have to wear this thick uniform. It's not like they just get to wear whatever they want. So you can wear a tank top and you know board shorts. That you're in a heavy cotton uniform. Jump. You know, walking up steep hills, jumping up and down off the. They get to wear shorts though. Shorts, but heavy, that shorts. material looks thick. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It looks thick, like, like a thick. Cotton. It's like a Dickies. Like not a breathable cotton. Work. No, definitely not. We should, you we'll, could pour water on it and it just, there's no breathability. Like the water just rolls off like rain X on your clothes. We'll talk to our friend Emil about what the material's like. He's a driver. <laughs> I'm sure he'll um, let us feel the material. So the, the point is UPS is conceding, I think, on a lot of issues that the Teamsters are focused on, hopefully to avoid a strike if... There is a strike, and this is the crazy thing. I don't think anyone has this on their radar. If there's a strike, it's going to be a major logistics problem nightmare. for the United States. It, it will be a nightmare. Um, so that's going to happen probably by the next time we talk again. We'll know what's going to happen. Yeah, and I'm the UPS tracker queen. I have an obsession with tracking packages, which, I mean, is primarily driven from the fact that packages get stolen within 30 minutes off our doorstep if you don't track them, but I'm Or delivered to the wrong place like last night. Constantly delivered to the wrong address. But 
that's also our neighborhood. We have three two two fours within a tenth of a mile radius of where we live. So part of my duties is walking around at night with a flashlight looking to see if our packages have been delivered to our neighbors. We thought that we had lost a very emotionally valuable package last night, which is our new cycling kits. Custom. For those yeah. of you who don't know what cycling kits are, they're the jerseys, the spandex that you see cyclists wearing. And so Uniforms. in the world of cycling, you can get really creative with these kits. And we personally designed them ourselves. We have a whole team of people that look forward to these designs, these new designs. Well, yeah, we thought it got stolen and you were really pissed. I was, I was, I had to just go upstairs to take a shower because I was so upset that everyone else on the team was going to get these new uniforms and we wouldn't have our uniforms because it takes about two months, two to four months to get these uniforms made and shipped to you. So we have been waiting for so long and I thought that someone just, came up, swiped the package of uniforms, and then they're sitting in a dumpster somewhere once they realized it wasn't valuable to them. But they weren't. But they weren't. That didn't happen. They were just four doors down. Me and Hutch found them. Yep. Yeah, and then lastly in the news, uh, some pretty good research from SoftBank where they interviewed uh, a lot of CHROs about what's happening in terms of talent right now. And, uh, you know, the headline is, despite the layoffs, talent is still king. Uh, layoffs have, and I, I would encourage everyone to look at this study because it's presented in a really easy and digestible format, but layoffs from the first half of the year and even from the last quarter of last year have basically come to a halt. Uh, and I think a lot of that is because you asked me earlier why, why that would be happening. I think a lot of it is because a lot of organizations overhired during the pandemic because they were terrified of being uh, outspent uh, when it comes to talent, mainly in technology. Uh, if you look at most of the layoffs, they're in the tech space. They're not, um, which is so cyclical anyway. Um, but the headlines around going into the year was about the recession that was impeding and incoming. And uh, we really haven't experienced that. And so we even are hearing from our own clients who we're pausing work or weren't interested in doing new projects. Now the second half of the year is looks like we're going to be hiring a lot of people. Uh, and also looks like we're going to be trying to, uh, at least get started on a lot of initiatives, if not get completed, a lot of initiatives that should have been worked on in, in the early part of the year, because organizations realize that the sky is not falling. Well, do we want to talk about anything personal? Uh, I don't know. What is personal you want to share? Bonafide Deluxe. Oh, uh, we should remember that. Bonafide. Really like the Bonafide Riders. I know. I really want to go to Bonafide. I love sandwiches. You know this. I am a sandwich connoisseur. Bread and Butterfly, for those of you that love sandwiches out there, they have an amazing sandwich that is their ciabatta. I don't know how they make such good ciabatta because when I think of ciabatta, it's like thick... And just, I don't know, it's too much bread a lot of times. It overpowers the sandwich. Their ciabatta is the lightest, airiest, most perfect ciabatta that I've ever tasted. You think they make it themselves? I don't know. I guess I need to ask. Yeah. I feel like they might. But I, I, anyways, best ciabatta. But if you, if you ask them, then you can find out where they get it from and then you could get it. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it's somewhere that I can actually get bread from. Yeah. 
not just like a bread distributor or something. Um, but then they have, this is not a vegan, this is not a vegetarian, we're not in this space. This is a meat sandwich. We got salami on this sandwich. So we've got ciabatta, salami, and then they have an amazing olive tapenade. And then they put like a... But it's just like one slice of salami, Yeah, right? but, it's, but it's perfect. But it's not why. like the big, like... Like a New York. Yeah, I guess Italian. it's not. I shouldn't say like it's a meat sandwich. Like yeah, that's, that's, that makes it sound like it's a lot of meat. Yeah, and I don't like, know why I keep doing that voice when I. It's like meat. <laughs> it's like a meat like, sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> but it's really good though. And then all of toponade is so flavorful. And then they put like a little frise, you know, salad, lightly dressed on top of that. Uh, it's awesome. It's like you're in, in Italiano. It's so good. It's simple. Italiano. Sorry. I, I don't like the the complicated putting everything in the kitchen sink on the same I don't I'm not a fan of that I like the simple the simple things in life does it make you feel like you're an ischia yeah 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 it's an ischia sandwich I mean but that would probably be seafood but it definitely has that vibe they have sandwiches in ischia no no I mean but it'd be like a seafood sandwich oh instead of a meat sandwich uh, no I think they uh, maybe but my point was is I really want to try bonafide deluxe and I think their sandwiches are a little bit more there's maybe. a little bit more stuff on them, but I, I can, I'm willing to try anything. So maybe that's where the deep voice meat comes from is the bona fide meat. But you don't think they have anything to do with the bona fide riders? I don't, maybe. We can ask them. I love the bona fide riders. Great. They're a great group of cyclists. <laughs> if you haven't ridden with a bona fide cyclist, the energy is off the charts. Very positive. Super positive and just, yeah, just really welcoming and, and nice. It's a fun group. Okay, so Forza Starica and Bonafide. Bonafide. Yeah, where else? Maybe wine tasting tonight. Oh wow, okay. Maybe. At Vinoteca, our partner's Vinoteca. Yeah. Love Vinoteca. And Emmett Park. Well yeah, they don't have any other locations, so yeah. yeah. The Vinoteca and Emmett Park. Yep, but Del Bar will have a location in Buckhead soon. I actually was talking about that earlier uh, with Kimberlyn uh, because she lives in Buckhead. And I told her that she was really fortunate that Del Bar was going to be opening up. And she said she still wanted to come down here. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, 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 no. Yeah. no. Once y'all have Buckhead, <laughs> you you stay with your Del Bar and Buckhead. And yeah, don't cross the barrier. Let us in Inman Park Inns have our Del Bar back. Yeah, let us have our Del Bar. Yeah. Buckhead. Yeah. You already have all the other restaurants up there. Just stay. Stay. I gotta tell Hutch, stay. Exactly. Don't move. Okay. Well, I All think right. that's it for the week. That was our first podcast. Yeah. Feeling good about it? First one that we're gonna publish. I mean, now that you've put out into the universe, we have to publish it. I guess so. So we'll do the closing jingle. Jingle, 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 jingle. Bye. That was completely <laughs> unrehearsed and unscripted. <laughs> like, that's how I am. Like film. Okay.